Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. God willing, this will be our last sermon in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. We've looked at verses 1 through 9 already. So the first nine verses we've looked at in the first two sermons on this series on marriage. And uh, we're going to focus mainly today on uh, verses 10 through 12 to finish off this section. Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, He went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed Him, and He healed them there. And Pharisees came up to Him and tested Him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Father, we come to you this morning and confess that we are poor and needy. And apart from you, we can do nothing. I am unable to preach, and we are unable to hear. And so, God, we confess that we need you, and we pray that you would come and help us. Help me preach, and help us hear. Lord, we thank you that you promise that you are with us always, and will never leave us nor forsake us. So be with us now, and and give us strength. Give us strength not to be distracted. We know that the devil would, would... would like for us to be distracted by the, the heat or, or what happened this morning or what happened this week or what's happening this afternoon or what's happening this week that, that the devil would, would have us be distracted from hearing what you want us to hear. And so we pray, Lord God, that you would come and destroy the works of the devil and give us uh, attention to focus on you and your word right now. And God, we do pray that by your spirit you would truly mold us and shape us and change us, encourage us, and let us hear from You. Lord, let us be changed. Let us be conformed to the image of Jesus. Let let sinners who've come here this morning who've never been born again, Lord, let this be the day that angels rejoice in heaven because someone is born again with us today. 
Father, help me to know nothing among these beloved people but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And help us hear from You today, God. We beg You for Jesus' sake. Amen. We have been meditating on marriage these last few Sundays and uh, just a brief review of where we've been. Uh, Remember, I define marriage the way the Bible defines marriage as covenant and consummation. Marriage is a covenant promise that a man and a woman make to one another before God and witnesses. It's a covenant promise and it's consummation coming together in that physical one flesh union. That's marriage. And we've thought about the purposes for marriage. And I liked how uh, John MacArthur described uh, marriage's purposes with these uh, five P's. Marriage is for procreation. Marriage is for having babies. As we heard from the Westminster Confession, for having a holy seed. Marriage is for pleasure. Marriage is for pleasure. We... People get married and they enjoy one another. They enjoy one another physically. See Song of Solomon. That they enjoy being together, encouraging one another. Um, So procreation, pleasure, provision. Marriage is for provision. Marriage is for, for the husband to provide for his wife and take care of her. Marriage is is for husband and wife to provide for one another in spiritual care and spiritual encouragement to help one another get to heaven and point one another to Christ. Procreation, pleasure, provision, and partnership. Marriage is about friendship, about helping one another, about being there for one another, about being friends and again encouraging one another. And finally, and this is the most important P, I wonder if, if anybody can shout out, what do you think the most important P is? How do you think he put it? It's a... Picture. Picture. The most important purpose of marriage is it's a picture of Christ in the church. Every faithful marriage points to Jesus' love for His bride. And that's the most important thing about marriage. It's a picture of Christ and the church. And as we've thought about marriage these few weeks, we we want to uphold God's biblical standard concerning marriage. We want to hold up God's biblical standard concerning marriage. And and so we've we've exhorted uh, uh, young people among us to wait to have sexual uh, uh, intercourse until marriage. I shared with you that wonderful story about Pastor Garrett Kale and how his wife had written a letter Uh, to the one when she was 13 years old to promise to wait for that one and she gave it to him on their wedding night. She had waited. And how that was a glorious gift that she could give to him, her virginity on their wedding night. And we want to encourage singles to wait for marriage, but Garrett Kell, her husband, hadn't done the same. He had not waited and he had sinned. And that is ultimately a sin against God. It's a sin against those women he did it with. And it's a sin against his wife on her wedding night. But she was gracious and merciful. She forgave him. And God forgives. 
And so not only we, we want to uphold God's biblical standard for marriage, that it's this one flesh union that, that's not to be cut asunder by anyone, that marriage is to last till death do you part. We want to hold up that standard, but we also want people to, who have failed in this area to know that there is grace and mercy and forgiveness for all who repent and trust in Jesus. There's grace and mercy and forgiveness for all of those who failed whether it be divorce, whether it be sexual morality, whatever your sin, friend, know this morning, Jesus holds open His, His arms and says, Come to Me, all you who labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. There is forgiveness. There is grace. There is mercy. There is salvation. And then, as we receive that grace and mercy, as we receive Jesus by faith alone and repent of our sins, then, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we then seek to obey what Jesus teaches us in these verses about marriage and divorce and sexuality. We've seen Jesus last week confront the false teachers, the Pharisees, by pointing them back to God's Word in Genesis, which shows that divorce is against God's righteous command because marriage is God permanently joining one man and one woman in a one flesh union that should never be separated. And we saw that Jesus permits divorce for only one reason, and that being sexual unfaithfulness, sexual morality. In the first eight points in the last two sermons, we saw Jesus keeps loving and healing. Jesus keeps loving and healing. And even in this strong, high standard that He gives about marriage, it is loving to tell us this. It's loving. And the Pharisees come and test Jesus by asking Him about divorce. Jesus teaches that there are only two genders... Jesus teaches that the words of Moses in Genesis are the words of God. Jesus teaches that marriage is primary, it's personal, and it's permanent. The Pharisees asked Jesus a second question about the law of Moses and divorce. Jesus corrects the Pharisees and teaches that hard hearts are the central reason for divorce. And Jesus commands the highest standard of commitment in marriage and warns against adultery. Those were the first eight points of the last two sermons. Today, we see Jesus' disciples react strongly to His high standards for marriage. They say if Jesus' teaching is true, then it's better not to marry. Jesus responds by teaching them that God gives both the gifts of singleness and marriage, and each person should receive their own gift from God and use the gift faithfully by His grace and for His glory. And so point number nine, consider Jesus' high standards, considering Jesus' high standards for marriage, His disciples say it's better not to marry. <laughs> considering Jesus' high standards for marriage, His disciples conclude it's better not to marry. When Jesus taught on marriage, his disciples concluded that no one should ever do this. <laughs> Sam Alberry writes, I've preached on marriage I don't know how many times. No one has ever come up to me after I've preached on marriage and said, Huh, I think it's better not to marry. Which begs the question, am I teaching marriage in the way that Jesus is teaching marriage? Because when Jesus teaches marriage, people become conscious of the weightiness of it. 
Now, I don't mean to brag, but the last two sermons I've preached, one man came up to me and said, I'm never getting married. <laughs> yes, just like Jesus. Okay, doing something right. Beloved, consider again Jesus' teaching on marriage, that it's primary, it's the primary relationship. Jesus speaks of leaving father and mother and cleaving to wife. The relationship of marriage is more important than the son, mom, son, father, daughter, son, daughter, uh, uh, father, daughter, mother relationship. You leave father and mother, you cling your wife. There's a new primary relationship here. It's more important than your children, parents. The best thing you can do for your children is love each other. Love each other well. It's primary. It's the primary relationship on earth under Christ. It's personal. It's a one flesh union. You become one. God joins. Let no man separate. And it's permanent. It's permanent. It's to last until death do you part. Listen to what we've, we've thought about Jesus say in Matthew 19, 4-9. He answered, Have you not read that He who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to Him, Why then did Moses command one to give her a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual morality and marries another, commits adultery. I mean, Jesus makes it clear here that marriage is a lifelong commitment. A lifelong commitment that should not be broken. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing to make a lifelong commitment to one person who helps shape you into who you will be and help sanctify you. That's a good thing. Marriage is a good gift from God. But that can also be a scary thing. Marriage takes a lot of faith. Marriage takes a lot of faith. In one sense, you don't know who you're marrying. <laughs> no matter how long you've known them. You, you don't really know the person until you live with them 24-7. And guess what? Spouses change over time. So the person you married on the wedding day ain't going to be the same person 10 years later, 20 years later. So you really don't know what you're getting. It takes faith. And you should consider this before you get married. You should consider this before you get married. I mentioned Pastor Sam Crabtree did premarital counseling and he did his best to talk couples out of getting married. And he would go over all these scenarios and, and make sure they knew what they were doing. If your husband is in a car accident and he becomes brain dead, guess what? You're still married till death do you part. If your wife gets struck by lightning on your honeymoon, which I think happened to B.B. Warfield, and she was an invalid in a room for the rest of her life, guess what? You're still married till death do you part. If your husband commits some great crime and goes to jail for the rest of his life, guess what? You're still married till death do you part. 
If your husband falls away from the Christian faith, And I know these stories, many in my life, even friends of mine, where everybody's on fire for Jesus, but then five years, ten years later, the husband walks away from Jesus. Guess what? You're still married till death do you part. If in ten years your spouse changes radically from the person they were when you got married, guess what? You're still married till death do you part. So we need to let that land on us. We need to let that land on us before we consider marriage. And we need to make sure, those of you who are considering marriage, that you marry only in the Lord. Christians have no business marrying unbelievers. Marry only in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 7.39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Only in the Lord. You children out there, you should be looking and praying for a spouse who loves Jesus, trusts Jesus, is, is, is bonkers over Jesus, head over heels in love with Jesus. Leads you to Jesus. Helps you follow Jesus. 1 Corinthians 9.5 Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? 2 Corinthians 6.14 Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? And, and yes, uh, many point out that this is not necessarily focused on marriage, but, but partnerships, but I believe it certainly applies to marriage. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. There's no greater yoke to be yoked with than marriage. And so, beloved, make sure if you marry, you consider the cost. You have great faith in God. And you marry only in the Lord. But we see here the disciples hear Jesus teaching on this, the high level of commitment, the permanence, the, the primary, the, 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 the personal nature of it, and they, they come away saying, Jesus, if this is what marriage is, ain't nobody should do this. <laughs> nobody ought to be doing this, this marriage stuff, if what you're saying is true. What, is Jesus, what does Jesus say about that? God gives the gift of marriage and the gift of being single. God gives the gift of marriage and the gift of being single. Look at verse 11. But He said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. When Jesus says not everyone can receive this saying, He's probably referring to what His disciples have just said in verse 10. If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry... Well, not everyone can receive this, Jesus says. <laughs> not, not, not everyone can receive this saying that it's better not to marry. So what do those people receive? They receive marriage. They receive the gift of marriage. And, and we, 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 we've been thinking about this, this great gift. Marriage is a gift given by God. 
Matthew 19, 6, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. It's God who ultimately does the joining, we thought about. Genesis 2, 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Proverbs 18.22, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Marriage is a gift from God. And we're going to be talking about eunuchs and celibacy and, and celibacy for the sake of the kingdom, but, but you should hear this. If, if you struggle with sexual temptation you should seek to get married. Um, I remember one pastor talking about these zealous young men and they're, I'm going to live my life for the Lord and, and I don't, I'm not going to get married because I can devote more time to Jesus and all the while they struggle with pornography. No, brother, <laughs> you need to be radical and get married. If you struggle with sexual temptation, you don't have the gift of celibacy. You should seek marriage. You should pray for marriage. You should try to put yourself in situations where you might meet people to marry. 1 Corinthians 7, 8-9, Paul says to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. Singleness is good. The Bible affirms singleness is good. We actually need to learn that more in the church because the church, church people can make single people feel like weirdos. The Bible affirms that singleness is good. And we're going to talk about that a lot more. But if they cannot exercise self-control, God the Holy Spirit says, they should marry. For it is better, better to marry than to be aflame with passion. Vodi Bauckham was still in college. I think he was like 20 or 21 when he got married. He said the wisest man in the Bible, and he was referring to Solomon, the strongest man in the Bible, Samson, and the most godly man in the Bible, he was referring to David, all fell into sexual sin. He said, I'm not wiser than Solomon, I'm not stronger than Samson, and I'm not more godly than David, I'm getting married. But again, friends, many of us have failed. Many of us have failed in, in wisdom, in godliness, in strength. And, and we come again to this topic as sinners. And, and therefore, we again need to be reminded of the gospel that saves sinners. Because all of us have sinned. If not in this area of marriage and divorce and remarriage, if if not in sexual morality and singleness, if not in lust, there are other ways all of us have sinned against God. We, we've not loved God as we should, loved Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We, we, we sing songs like, all I have is Christ, all the while being anxious about certain things, <laughs> fearful. When we sing, all I have is Christ, and yet... We know that we need this or that other thing to truly be happy and satisfied. We say Christ is all, but deep down we know what we really want. We're sinners. We've broken God's laws and commandments by 
Even the things I prayed about this morning for us to be forgiven about selfishness, pride, arrogance, envy, jealousy. And so we need a Savior. I need a Savior. All of us come to the foot of the cross and we need a Savior. And praise God that He loves us. God loves sinners. Remember 1 Corinthians 6 where He lists all these sins. Homosexuality, and sexual morality, and adultery, and envy, and jealousy, and drunkenness. All these sins. But he, and then He says, such were some of you. But you were washed, you were cleansed, you were sanctified through the blood of Jesus. And so God loves sinners and He's done something to save us. He's done something to cleanse us. He, he's done something to make us all virgins reborn, as it were. He sent His Son, Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life. Single man. Jesus was a single man. The greatest man who ever lived. The greatest man who, who embodied the image of God like no one else was a single man. And he lived a perfect life. He never lusted. He never fell into sexual sin no matter what these stupid movies you watch say. Da Vinci Code garbage. And he died on that cross. The perfect, pure, spotless Lamb of God took God's wrath, took God's curse, took God's hell and was buried. And on the third day, He rose from the dead so that all who turn from their sin and believe in Him shall be saved. You can't earn this salvation by your purity. If you're here this morning and you're trying to be pure, thinking that will earn your way to heaven, Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet and receive what He's done for you. Receive His purity by faith alone. Just trust Him. Just trust in Jesus. And He will save you. He will cleanse you. He will wash you from all your sins. Friends, this is the good news of the Gospel. And I wonder if there's anyone here this morning who's not believed the Gospel this morning. I urge you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. He'll change you. Change you forever. And, and, and you must be born again to, to get anything I'm saying about marriage, to get anything I'm going to say today about singleness today. You must be born again to get this. You, you need the Spirit of God. You, you have to be a new person. And that happens by His Spirit. But if you're born again, you'll love His Word. You'll love His truth. You'll want to live this out by His power. And so trust Him. If you're here this morning and you want to talk to me about that, please come and find me afterwards. I'll be here. We'd love to talk with you. love to pray with you. Find another Christian. We want everyone here today to leave trusting Christ as their Lord and Savior and forgiven and free. And so marriage is a gift given by God, Jesus teaches. And singleness is a gift given by God. Verse 11, But He said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. Given by God. God has given the gift of, of singleness to people who are single. And, and that's the 11th and final point of this three-part series on Matthew 19, 1-12, the gift of being single. And we see this in verse 12. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs 
who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive it, receive it. What is a eunuch? What is a eunuch? Jesus uses the term in three ways in these verses, in this verse. Number one, it means someone born without the ability to have sexual relations. Secondly, he uses it, it's someone who had a procedure that prevents them from having sexual relations. And third, it's someone who has voluntarily renounced or refrained from marriage and sexual relations in order to do God's work more faithfully. Let's think about those briefly one by one. Eunuchs who have been so from birth, Jesus speaks about. So this gift of singleness comes in three ways. Eunuchs who have been so from birth. Because of sin entering the world, which has effects even on human genes and everything about us, there are people who are born with birth defects, disorders, or abnormalities that prevent them from having sexual relations or from even having the desire to have sexual relations. And I'm not saying the person actually had a personal sin and that's what happened to them. I'm just saying sin generally is in the world and because sin generally is in the world, people are born this way. They've been that way from birth. Second category, eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men. Men who have been castrated so that they could work as a court official like in the king's court. So you see in the book of Esther, uh, uh, the, the, those who worked in the king's court were eunuchs. You see in the book of Daniel, those who served in the king's court were eunuchs. And so they've been made that way by a surgical procedure to not be distracted by uh, that desire for sexual relations so that they could give themselves to the king's service. This could also refer to religious orders who would castrate themselves. Some think the Essenes did that. And the third category, eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. This is not referring to any kind of castration or cutting procedure, but simply refraining from marriage for the sake of having more time and more focus on labor for the kingdom of heaven. And so some people say, listen, I don't struggle with this temptation. This is not a problem for me. I'm going to uh, pursue uh, uh, Christ wholeheartedly with full devotion and use my time to serve Him. And Jesus says, let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. And so we're going to uh, finish our time today thinking about receiving this gift of singleness. I was helped greatly by uh, a book by Wayne Grudem. This is his Christian ethics book. Uh, and he has a section in here on singleness. Uh, and he gave several points that I'm going to use as my points for thinking about the gift of singleness. And he uh, uh, referred a lot to this man named Barry Danny Lake, uh, who wrote two books on a biblical theology of singleness and redeeming singleness. It's important for us as a church to think rightly and biblically about singleness. And the first point that Grudem brought up is the New Testament highly values singleness. The New Testament highly values 
singleness. As I've already mentioned, Jesus, the greatest man who ever lived, was single. Paul, possibly the greatest apostle who wrote much of our New Testament, was a single man, at least from what we know of him while he was doing his ministry and writing Scripture by the Holy Spirit. And he wrote 1 Corinthians 7. John MacArthur believes 1 Corinthians 7 is a commentary on Jesus' teaching in Matthew 19. MacArthur preached like six sermons on this. I'm only preaching three. Uh, but it was good for me just to just meditate on all these thoughts about, about marriage. And in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul makes it very clear that, that singleness is highly valued. He says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, I wish that all were as I am. He wishes everyone was single like him. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no, necess no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Huh. There are actually categories in the Bible of better and best that aren't sinful. He who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God. You're going to be happy if you don't get married, but you, you do you. <laughs> it's always sort of comforted me after a breakup. God, the Holy Spirit says I'll be happier. Okay, I trust you, Lord. But each has his own gift from God. Each has his own gift from God. And, and so there are people that just aren't wired to be single. And, and if they stay single, they're going to be distracted. They're going to be tempted. They're not going to be devoted to the Lord because of all these distractions. They need to get married. They have their gift from God. And then others have the, the gift that Paul has in be, being single. And I don't believe there's something special about the gift of singleness. If you're single, you got the gift. <laughs> until God gives you another gift. Each has his own gift. But notice how highly God's Word values singleness. When, when, when many in the, in the church look at singles as if it's something, they're weird, something's wrong. Like, are you, you know, 
all kinds of things people think, think and, and say that hurt people's feelings. Beloved, we need to have a biblical view of singleness. The Bible holds high singleness as a calling to serve the Lord. And, and we should receive that. As a single pastor, I'm thankful for Daniel and John the Baptist and the Apostle Paul and Jesus and Augustine and Martin Luther who uh, was single for a, a, a time of ministry before he got married. John Calvin wrote his institutes as a single man. He did get married later. Uh, uh, Richard Baxter, Charles Spurgeon was a single pastor for a while. Amy Carmichael was a single female missionary who served 55 years in India without a furlough. Never came home, never took a break. <laughs> John Stott, John Murray was single. Most of his, all of his ministry as a professor got married when he was 76, I think. Had three children, something He had some children. It's never too late. William Steele, Helen Rosevere, countless others who have served God faithfully in ministry while single. So singles, I, we've been talking about marriage the last two Sundays. This is your time. Be encouraged. God's Word uh, highly values singleness. Number two, there is spiritual value in having single people in the church. There is spiritual value in having single people in the church. Grudem says single people in the church remind us that we will all be single in the age to come with respect to human marriage and the joyful fellowship and companionship that single people and married people can have in this age provides a reminder and a foretaste of the age to come as well. It's good to have singles in the church. We, 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 singles remind us that, that marriage is going to end someday. In the age to come, there will be no marriage. We'll be like the angels of heaven, Jesus said. And singles reminds us of this. Children, there, there are children who are single. There are single adults. There are widows in our midst. And quite frankly, you who are married, you will probably be single again in your life. You who are married, you will probably be single at some point in your life because usually couples don't die on the same day. There's spiritual value in having single people in the church to remind us of the age to come. Number three, the New Testament emphasizes the church as a spiritual family that is greater than one's physical family. The New Testament emphasizes the church as a spiritual family that is greater than one's physical family. Danny Lack writes, those who are single may experience two different but related voids. The first is the absence of intimacy and companionship resulting from living without a marriage partner. A second is the absence of physical offspring. And Grudem comments on that. The New Testament answer to the need for intimacy and companionship is fulfilled in the relationship of brothers and sisters in the new spiritual family. The New Testament authors refer to fellow believers in the church as brothers or brothers and sisters 120 times in the epistles. And so some of you might wonder, why did Pastor Joseph start calling me brother all of a sudden? <laughs> brother this and brother that and sister this and sister that. Why did he do that? Why did he start doing that? Because he started reading the Bible. <laughs> he started seeing how the Bible speaks of how we are to relate to one another as brothers and sisters. And beloved, this family is the primary family according to God's Word. This family, the church family, is the primary family according to God's Word. Matthew 12, 48-50. 
But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he, Jesus, said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Luke eleven twenty-seven through 28 As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Blessed is, the, is Mary, is basically what this person's saying. Blessed is Mary. What does Jesus say? He doesn't say start praying to her. I'll tell you that. He doesn't say commit idolatry. No, he says, but he said, blessed rather are the ones who hear the word of God and keep it. Beloved, realize the implications of that. The physical mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus elevates hearing and keeping the word of God above her, that physical relation. This is the primary family. The Bible teaches this all over the place. The family of God is the primary family, not the physical, biological family. 1 Timothy 5, 1-2 Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Older men are like fathers in the church. Treat younger men like brothers. Older women like mothers. Younger women like sisters in all purity. This is the answer to singles who have no family. This is our family. And this family's primary. Deepak Reju came and, and taught on singleness in the church. It's a wonderful lesson. Uh, I, I might send that out to everybody. But, but he, one of his points was that there would be a deep mingling of lives together in the local church where, where families and singles would, would invite one another into their lives in a deep and meaningful way. And so he told the story of a college student who invited him and his family, I don't know how many kids, maybe three or four kids, his wife and his children, to his dorm room at college for dinner. And he was just talking about how revolutionary this was, that here's this family coming into a college dorm room, and all the people on the dorm hall are like, what, who is this? What's going on here? And, and, and Deepak said, yeah, I just wanted to go to see what this guy was going to come up with, a college student, dorm room. And he, did, he said he did a really good job, cooked a meal, had him over, and they had fellowship, and it led to conversations on the dorm hall of, of, of this kind of community that this single college student had with a family at his church. Uh, Deepak and his family had a young lady from church live with them and, and, and help in the home and, and be a godly influence for their children. They actually lived together, ha had her in, in their home. Um, he invited a single man who had come over for dinner to come with him upstairs and watch as he went through the bedtime routine with his children. And the single man commented, this was so revolutionary for me to see how you pray with your children, how you read the Word and memorize the Word together, how you put them to bed. This is so helpful for me. I, I need to learn how to do this, and what better way to do that than to, to follow and watch you? And sometimes uh, uh, families are, I'm so busy, I can't do this, I can't do that, I, I don't have time to disciple. Just bring them in your house and let them see what you do. Let them see you argue with your wife and how you repent and confess sin. Let them see how you discipline your children. I, I was visiting a friend a couple weeks ago and got to see how they discipline their, their, their son. J you don't have to do anything new. Just invite them in. What do you already do? 
It's discipleship. Deepak invites single men to come with him to his son's soccer games. He's always got another single man with him to come with him to, to see how he loves his son in that context. And of course, Deepak learned that from watching somebody else. He noticed this one guy at church always had a single guy with him, a different one, not the same one, different guy come with him. Just come with me. Hey, I'm going to Home Depot. Come with me. See how I react in the car. See how I do things. Right? Discipleship. Don't add to what you're doing. Just bring people with you in what you already do. His wife couldn't meet with the single young lady who invited her out for coffee. Can we meet and have coffee? Uh, the, 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 the wife couldn't do that because she homeschools. So the wife said, come with me and help me homeschool. <laughs> come over this afternoon. See what we do. You can help tutor my kids. Um, uh, uh, come be a part of our life. And, and we'll do it that way. A young couple offered to babysit for them once a month as long as they would give them an hour of counseling after date night. And so for three years, this couple would babysit their kids once a month and then afterwards get a counseling session. His point is to, to, to encourage people to, to mingle their lives together, bring singles into families. Singles pursue this with, with other people. And, and, and be the family of God that we're called to be. The primary family in the Bible is the family of God. Four, in the New Testament, the people of God multiply through spiritual birth. You're single here. You long for children. You don't have children. Guess what? You can have myriads of spiritual children. Myriads and myriads of spiritual children, even if you don't have physical children. It reminds me of Isaiah 54, that the, the barren woman will have more children. 1 Corinthians 4, 14-15, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul saw himself as a father to these Corinthian believers. Galatians 4.19, My little children, for whom I again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. 1 Thessalonians 2.7, But we were gentle with you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. 1 Timothy 1.2, To Timothy, my true child in the faith. Titus 1.2, To Titus, my true child in a common faith. And John in 1 John 2.1, My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if any man sins... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. All of these ways referring to, to their children. I'm your Father. And, and they weren't physically related. It was through the Gospel. Single people, you can have children. <laughs> you can have children through evangelism and discipleship. Through sharing the Gospel and telling others about Jesus. Five, marriage is not necessary for full humanity or for truly fulfilling life. Marriage is not necessary for full humanity or for a truly fulfilling life. The happiest and holiest man who ever lived, the greatest man who ever lived, the most fully human human being who ever lived, was both single all his earthly days and unsurpassingly satisfied in God. Jesus Christ. I, lo I loved it on Wednesday night when we were talking about marriage and, and Michael, you brought up how you don't know how you could live without Becky. You would be an absolute mess without your wife. 
And that's good. That's true. And I would testify as a single guy. <laughs> if, if I feel about the same way about Michael being an elder at this church. I feel that way. I'd be a mess. I don't know how I would survive as a pastor if God didn't bring Michael to be an elder at this church, Daniel to be an elder at this church. I would be a mess if God hasn't brought different friendships and, and people into my life to help me in, in the things that I struggle with. And, and I say that to mean God is going to take care of you. If you're single, He's going to bring other relationships into your life to be that kind of support and, and buttress and shield and help that God does in husband and wife relationships. He does that with other believers in the church. Friends. Families who invite you into their home. God is going to take care of everyone and give us what we need. John Piper writes, the greatest, wisest, most fully human person who has ever lived never married, Jesus Christ. His greatest apostle never married and was thankful for his singleness. Jesus himself said that in the age to come, we do not marry. And he added that the age to come had already broken into this world. Quoting Barry Danny Lake, he says, singleness is a visible reminder that the kingdom of God points to a reality which stands beyond worldly preoccupations of marriage, family, and career. Indeed, and that greater reality is the all-satisfying, everlasting friendship of Jesus Himself in the new heavens and the new earth. Marriage and singleness will be transcended by Christ Himself, and, and Christ Himself will make these categories obsolete in the joy of His presence. A life of joyful singleness witnesses to this. And so marriage is necessary. Marriage is necessary for a truly fulfilling life. Did you know that? Marriage is necessary for a truly fulfilling life, namely marriage to the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. As a single man, my hope is not everlasting singleness. What a horrid thought. My hope is the absolute fact that I and all God's people as the church, the bride of Christ, will be married one day to the only one who can and will satisfy our bodies and souls forever and ever, the Lord Jesus Christ. Six. Singleness allows greater time to be given to Christian ministry. We saw this in 1 Corinthians 7. There's just more time for singles. More time for study. More time for prayer. Think of Anna in the Bible who, 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 who was a widow but had all that time to pray and await the coming of the Messiah. There's more time for evangelism. More time for discipleship. More freedom to travel. Uh, perhaps in, 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 in missions work. There's just more time. Seven. Jesus promises a great reward for those who are faithful in their lives of singleness. Jesus promises a great reward for those who are faithful in their lives of singleness. Mark 10, 29-30. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. God has great promises for singles who are faithful in what God's called them to do. Number eight, God is sovereign over who gets married and who doesn't. God is absolutely and totally sovereign who gets married and who doesn't. Sometimes I get the question, 
bro, you 46 years old. Why aren't you married yet? What's, what's up? What's going on? What's up? And my first answer is God reigns. My first answer is God reigns. God joins. That's my first answer. God is sovereign over this thing. It's God who joins. Whatever weaknesses, whatever pickiness, whatever's going on in my heart, whatever sin is in my heart, God reigns over all of it. And I rest in that. I rest in that God is sovereign over who gets married and who doesn't. God is sovereign over everything. Beloved, take comfort in this. Psalm 139, 16. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Everything about your life was written down in God's book before every, anything happened. Matthew 10, 29-31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? He's sovereign over the flight paths of little birdies. Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. And the point of Jesus telling us that is, Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Ephesians 1.11, In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. He is sovereign. We can rest in that. We can rest in that. And He's sovereign over who gets married and who doesn't. Matthew 19.6, What therefore God has joined. God has joined. God has joined. Let not man separate. God's sovereign over all that. Number nine. What about single Christians who long to be married but have not found a marriage partner? What about single Christians who long to be married but have not found a marriage partner? I want to read a letter that Dr. Grudem received from a, a woman Increasing numbers of Christian women like me in their 30s, 40s, and beyond cannot find a way to marriage despite our best efforts and constant prayers. Marriage has fallen on hard times in our modern society, but while many unmarried non-Christians have opted to cohabitate or are deliberately choosing to remain single and childless to pursue personal interests, the vast majority of single Christians greatly desire to marry and form families. The evangelical church seems completely unprepared for the rise in undesired lifelong singleness among its members and sometimes totally unconcerned. It is extremely difficult for most people to live a life of celibacy when they are designed by God for intimate companionship. What is a single Christian expected to do about sexual desires when they cannot marry? How can they avoid falling into sin? Though the church is a spiritual family and friends are blessings from the Lord, living life outside of a physical family is unbearably lonely. I mean, families, ju just, just think about that. There are people who deeply struggle with this and they are unbearably lonely. Sometimes I feel as if I'm nothing. It's really God, is it really God's intention for scores of people to live their life completely alone? Doesn't Genesis 2.18 and Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 speak against this? Although I work to support myself and I'm grateful to God for the ability to do so, I don't draw identity from my career. I always thought my identity would be that of wife and mother, something I have looked forward to since I was a young girl. When you're a childless single woman, especially in the church, it's hard to know who or what you are to feel that you have any value. I cared for both of my parents until they died. 
Who will care for me when I'm too old to care for myself? I hope you know the answer to that. The church will. We don't attribute the increase in divorce to the will of God because we know God hates divorce. We don't attribute the rise of abortions to God either. Yet both of these things are happening in our society. How can we assume that, that singleness in increasing numbers is God's will? Couldn't the fact that many of us can't get married be a problem? And if it is a problem, isn't there something the church can do to help? Unmarried women like me, however, who love the Lord dearly but struggle greatly with unfulfilled sexual desires, loneliness, lack of identity, and concerns about the future feel like invisible members of the church. The focus is typically on those who are married or those who are still young and marriageable. The older singles are left to carry their unique burdens alone. As a fellow child of God, lovingly saved by His grace, I plead with you to look more deeply into this issue in Christ her name. I, I wanted to read that j just so that, that you would be aware that there are, there are people like this that, that have true and real burdens and struggles and it's hard. And what do we say about that? What do we say about this? Well, part of this is just the reality of living in a fallen, cursed world. Part of this is just the reality of living in a fallen and cursed world where we suffer. 1 Peter 1, 6-9, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested generous of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. James 1, 2-3, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed to us. And so there's sufferings. There's sufferings in this world. There are great pains in this world because of sin and the curse. And what do we do? We bring them to Jesus. We bring them to Jesus. That's what Elizabeth Elliot speaks about, giving your sufferings to Jesus as a sacrifice, offering them to Him as a sacrifice. Lord, You're worthy for me to endure this. You're worthy for me to, 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 to suffer this, trusting You and looking to You, to keep praying to You, to keep bringing my desires to You, to keep trusting, to keep trusting. And knowing that the trials in this life will not compare with the glories that shall be revealed in us. There's no comparison. And so we look to heaven. We look to our heavenly husband who will satisfy us. Charles Spurgeon says, remember this. Had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. Remember this. Had any other condition been better for you than the one in which you are, divine love would have put you there. And so we trust Him. And my final answer to that question is this. In a unique way, singleness gives us a picture of Christ being our all in all. 
in a unique way. There's a unique way in which marriage pictures the gospel and which marriage pictures Christ in the church. But there's also a unique way in which singleness points us to the truth of that song, all I have is Christ. Because I ain't got no wife and I ain't got no children. All I have is Christ. Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Psalm 73, 25 through 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Philippians 3.8 Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In Isaiah 56, 3-5, Brother Howard read, Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me, and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument, a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Singles, be encouraged. Widows, be encouraged. Be encouraged that God says that about you. You in a unique way picture for the church all I have is Christ. All I have is Christ, and He is enough. Sam Albury writes, If marriage shows us the shape of the gospel, singleness shows us its sufficiency. It's a way of declaring to a world obsessed with sexual and romantic intimacy that these things are not ultimate, and that in Christ we possess what is ultimate. Sexual unfulfillment itself becomes a means of deepening our sense of the fuller, deeper satisfaction we await in Jesus. It helps us to hunger more for Him. We skip the appetizer, but we wait the entree. Marriage in this life, it's just an appetizer. The entree is coming in Jesus at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Celibacy isn't a waste of our sexuality. It's a wonderful way of fulfilling it. It's allowing our sexual feelings to point us to the reality of the gospel. We will never ultimately make sense of what our sexuality is unless we know what it is for to point us to God's love for us in Christ. And so Jesus' disciples react strongly to His high standards for marriage. They say, if Jesus' teaching is true, then it's better not to marry. But Jesus responds by teaching them that God gives both the gifts of singleness and marriage, and each person should receive their own gift from God and use the gift faithfully by His grace and for His glory. And I want to end today briefly by thinking about Jesus again. I want to meditate about Jesus. This, this thought blew my mind. I've, I, I've, I've read this before, but it just blew my mind in such a way that, 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 you know, very rarely in sermon preparation will I just break out into a hymn. But this made me break out into the hymn, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. David Murray writes, Remember Jesus was able to live 33 single years, tempted in all points like as you are, and yet without sin. He is therefore able to sympathize, support, and strengthen you when you are tempted. He is THE SINGLE, in all caps. 
Jesus is the single, the single of all singles. He lived a life perfect singleness and died a death of perfect singleness, experienced the greatest possible sense of abandonment, desertion, and loneliness so that we could be brought into the deepest marriage relationship of all. Beloved, hear this. Jesus was the single of all singles on that cross. No one was there for Him when He experienced the wrath of God. He knew the deepest of the depths of what it means to be single, forsaken, and all alone. No wife, the bride for whom He came, rejected Him and spurned Him. Totally rejected Him. No father, no mother. Yes, Mary was there at the cross, but she could not be there with Him when He suffered the wrath of the Almighty God. He had no friends. All His disciples fled. Peter denied Him. Judas betrayed Him. No wife, no father, no mother, no friends, no disciples. And in a sense, no God. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Hallelujah, what a Savior. He did this for you. He did this because He loves you. He did this for you. No one will love you like Jesus. There is not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. And He rose up from the dead so that we might have and enjoy the gifts of Christian marriage and Christian singleness and someday never be single again and never again suffer in hard marriages but be married to the perfect, most beautiful, most godly, most loving, most all-satisfying spouse, the Lord Jesus Christ. As one has said, it will be an everlasting wedding day. And the joy shall never end, but only increase forever. That's my king, who was single, yet he burned. He, he was single, and he burned with passion. A flame with passion yearned for his bride who spurned her righteousness he earned. And from her sin she turned to long for his return. He was single all his life and conquered every strife and gave his precious life so we could be his wife. That's my king. Pleasures of marriage he never knew. He lived and died the single Jew. There's joy in sex and marriage true, but from a greater joy he drew. Eternal pleasures great he knew. Joys from his father through and through. His delights in the father flourished and grew. The pleasures of sin away he threw. No lust his heart would ever pursue. For God's beauty itself is the greatest view. His heart was crushed when this beauty withdrew. For on that cross God's wrath would spew. Forsaken by God he paid our due. Though no sin to him would ever accrue, he became sin for me and also for you. Then he rose and made all things new to bring you to God, a bride clean and true. Come to him now, your desires he'll subdue. You'll cry from your heart, all my joy is you. That's my king. Do you know my king today? Oh, Father, please come. My need seems dire. Please come help me fight overwhelming desire. Oh God, you alone can put out the fire. Turn my eyes upon you and lift me up higher to trust and obey all that you require. May I find Christ is all, my great King and Sire, and delight in Him, our greatest desire. That's my King. God's Word says singleness is the best way, and you'll be happier if single you stay. All your attention on God, you can certainly lay. He'll fill all your thoughts. To Him you can pray. He wants you alone with Him every day. A lover, a lover who's jealous and won't let you stray. He's the fountain of all delight to survey. 
He's glorious beauty on full display. He died to take your sins away and lives to give you life His way. So trust in Him and fight to obey. He'll grant you contentment come what may. Christ is the single who is left all alone. No wife, no father, no children his own. No friends, no disciples. From Him they'd all flown. No God in a sense forsaken and thrown under His wrath where He died with a groan. There Jesus died for our sins to atone, then rose up alive to sit on His throne. All this for His bride, the bone of His bone. He's single no more. The Lamb has now shown His love for His bride. The church He has known will praise Him forever. Our groom, Cornerstone. One day you'll be married for eternal duration. This fact is certain. God's declaration. For all who trust in Christ for salvation will marry the Lamb in the new creation. His bride you will be from every nation. You'll marry the King, the best combination. Most loving, most kind, your closest relation. The greatest spouse beyond all expectation. If you have Him, fear no deprivation. You'll know all is good at the consummation. Where joys in Him pass all imagination and grow forever in great adoration. The husband King is all compensation. So find in Him life's full celebration. Christ Jesus' standards are so high. For marriage makes the disciples cry, no one should ever marry. Why? But Jesus calms, their fears defy. God gives His gifts with perfect eye. Some are single and God draws nigh, but others marry by and by to show Christ's love loves His church for I. For her life, He'd bleed and die. He bore God's wrath. You're all to buy then conquered death and rose up high. Now married singles to Him fly, by faith alone in Him rely, and to His every word comply, for He will never leave you dry, but satisfy with full supply. In Him is joy. Ask me why? No pleasure you He will deny. That's my King. That's my King. Do you know Him? Father, we thank You for our great King. We thank You that You satisfy our every desire. We thank You, Lord, that You give the gifts of singleness and the gift of marriage and each one has their own gift from You. Father, we pray that we would receive those gifts from You with thanksgiving and that we would use those gifts faithfully for Your glory and honor and praise. Father, we do pray for marriages in our church. We pray they would be strong we pray they would be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We pray that husbands would love their wives as Christ loves the church, that, that husbands would, would wash their wives with the pure milk of the Word, that they would live carefully together with their wives as, as heirs of the grace of life together. We pray, Lord God, that husbands would lead their wives and families to the Word of God in prayer, lead their families to, to, to Christ. We pray that wives would submit and respect their husbands. We pray, Lord, that, that they would deeply love their husbands and support them and help them in what you've called them to do. Father, we pray that forgiveness would abound in marriages, that grace would abound and mercy would abound in marriages, that love would abound in marriages. Lord, we pray that the marriages would be permanent. We pray, Lord God, that those who are in hard marriages, you would grant grace. We pray that those who are married to unbelievers, that you would save those unbelieving spouses and cause them to be born again. We pray that you would encourage encourage uh, couples in hard marriages, Lord, that, 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 that there is a perfect husband. And his name is Jesus. 
And soon and very soon, we're going to see the Lord. Lord, we pray for those who are single. We pray for those who, like this woman who wrote this letter to Dr. Grudem, that struggle with this. God, we pray for them that they would find their, their hope in You, their delight in You, that they would give their suffering up to You as a sacrifice, that You would grant them contentment, that You would grant peace, that You would grant joy in the Holy Ghost. Lord, that You would grant them a joy of anticipation of, of being with Christ someday where all will be well. And He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. And Father, we do pray that You would grant godly marriages among us. We thank You for doing that. We thank You for bringing Isaac and Heidi together last year and bringing uh, Dee and Chris together. We pray that You would do that more, that You would bring uh, godly Christian couples together to marry and show forth Christ in the church. Lord, You know, you know what we need at Only Baptist Church concerning uh, these verses and concerning marriage and remarriage and divorce and singleness. And so, Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Apply your word to our hearts and help us be all that you want us to be for your glory. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.